When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mutation, it is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to discussion of the X-Men. That's right. We are still in X-Season. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined with my co-host and Marvel expert, Chris Bruffett. Chris, how's the X-Season going so far? We're right in the front. We're at the beginning. We're trying to pull a couple more things together. You know, strong start. Cyclops was fun. I'm a little bit more excited personally about Storm today. Hmm. You know, X season, it's only getting better. It is only getting better. And Atomic Mass is doing what they always do to us, Chris, where, yeah, Cyclops was an interesting lore. And, you know, he's always been this really complicated character, like we talked about in the episode. And if you haven't listened, give it a listen. But I am so excited to play him on the table. He just looks so fun, that beam attack. And it's just one of those things where it's like a character I don't love, but I do like enough, you know, but even other cases, we've talked about fringe cases on this show, like... There's characters that I have very little connection to before this game. They come out in the game. They're super fun to play. Chris and I do our deep dive on their lore and history, and we appreciate them even more. And then, you know, it's just I can't not love them. So even the Cyclopses of the world, which are far down my list in this game, and after we frame them in our context, super fun. Cyclops, even though he's not, I don't know. I was I was talking about him with friends, and I don't agree with him. I don't necessarily like him, but he is a really good character. He is. And I generally like stories he's involved in. He lends some gravitas to it. So yeah, like having him on the table, you know, he's kind of this legendary X-Men leader at this point. Right. Having him on the table is really kind of a cool feeling, like leading that X-Men, leading that charge, especially when they expand the X roster with Mm. whoever we end up getting. You know, think of all the different combinations you're going to be able to put together that's really just going to be right off the pages of the comics. Oh, that's absolutely true. And obviously, one of the most unique things to the X-Men, which we're going to examine in greater depth today, Chris, of course, is that they have two leaders and the second leader is none other than storm who we're doing today. But just that's so interesting from a lore perspective, which we're going to get into more as X season goes on, but also from a gameplay perspective, you know, because you don't choose your leader until both players have flipped their teams and we've seen the crises on the table. So if I flip my team and I have Scott and Aurora storm in my list, well, now I get to decide which one do I want as the leader? And that's that's great because I, I do think Scott's leadership is a little bit more fringe. Storms is going to work all the time. So it's an interesting time to be like, okay, this is the game we're going to play Scott. We're playing Gamma Shelters. We're going to beam away. Everybody's going to be funneling these big spender attacks. I'm, I'm here for it. And it's exciting. It's going to add a whole nother layer to the competitive aspect of the game. And I think that's really awesome. Absolutely. And even just you know, past competitive because Chris and I here love casual and narrative. I think it's adding a whole nother casual narrative element to Chris because it's like, ah, for this game, no, I want Storm as my leader. Like, I just want her, you know, that's just fun. Speaking of 
Scott and Storm being leaders of the Uncanny X-Men Gold and Blue team. Atomic Mass dropped a nice gift on us recently, Chris. It was the drop of the newest OP rules and affiliation list. And man, we've got some additions to some teams which are really exciting. Both from a gameplay perspective and a lore perspective, it is very exciting. Which one's your personal favorite so far? I think I'm going to save my personal favorite for last because it's the crazy curveball. But let's just talk about, you mentioned lore, Chris. So let's talk about some lore and something you talked about on the show a long time ago. So you nailed this before Wolverine wasn't even out. But you're like, if they make Wolverine, I want him to be on many teams because that is consistent with the comics. And what do you know? Wolverine apparently is an Avenger. He's an X-Men and he's a Defender. I'm sure there's going to be more teams for him to be on soon. Don't worry. (laughs) I think him being on the Defenders is a really nice nod. Atomic Mass really does care about the comics a lot. And it's very evident in these, these just tiny things they do. I love it. I do too. And continuing with things that we love, Beast is also an Avenger. And you know, Chris, Beast has been a staple of the Avengers for so long. And I cannot wait till we get to his episode and we get to basically go deeper in that topic with you, the listener, and just for Chris and I both, but Beast and Avenger. It's great. Very fun. He's big for them, man. Like he's so mobile. He is. I, I just think it's cool. And not to be outdone, of course, if the Avengers add new new members to the team, the Cabal has to as well. You know it, Chris. And what we see on the Cabal is Big Magneto, Mystique, (laughs) and Sabretooth all added. Cabal is looking more powerful than ever, and they've looked good for a long time. Since the beginning, basically, they've been a powerhouse. And yeah, they've got some really interesting options, Chris. They now have a six. They now have, of course, another three in Mystique. And then they have a, uh, a four that can do a lot of damage in Sabretooth. So... A lot of variability and excitement in Cabal. And man, what a lineup of bad guys. This is such a cool team. You know, we've got Red Skull, Zemo, Bullseye, Crossbones, Killmonger, Kingpin, Loki, Magneto, Modok, Mystique, Sabretooth, and Ultron. That is quite a list. That's long. And it's a lot of impressive characters. It really is, Chris. So, of course, the Uncanny X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants got both added to the list in full, which is great. Angela is represented in Asgard and Guardians of the Galaxy, just like when they announced her. So that's very good. But we got to close out with the best two for last. And I'm going to start with the first. I think it's important with our topic today. And I also just think it's so cool. Storm got added to Wakanda. That's big for Wakanda. Kind of a small affiliation, you know, for members adding a fifth member to help with the flexibility of the Wakandan team and your list building. But not only that, she's a cheap ranged character. That's big. That is big. And yeah, like you mentioned, Chris, there was only four to begin with and their prices were four, four, three, two. And now their prices are four, four, three, three, two. So what does that mean? That means if you're taking all the Wakandans in your 10 models, so all five and you get in those situations where you can only take Black Panther as your four, but you can't take Killmonger. Well, guess what? Now you've got Storm for three and she's going to slot in nice in those times when you don't want Killmonger or you can't fit him in and you're going to have more flexibility because now you can close out the rest of your list maybe with some completely off the wall characters and the points will work, you know? It's going to be fun to experiment. But the absolute curveball and best for last, Chris, was very unexpected. It was the Web Warriors getting a new member. Once again, a four-character team. So not many members of their team. They now have a fifth, and it's Daredevil. Really cool. Yeah. 
We got a lot to say about this. Sound like yeah. a broken record, but what an awesome addition. Like the only thing in my, my head, as soon as we talked about it, as soon as I saw it, it was just that Alex Maleve cover from Correct. the Bendis run of Daredevil and Spider-Man. You know, that, we love Bendis that, here. <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> and that, uh, that awesome, awesome charcoal looking cover to that issue uh, immediately. It's just all I can think about. Oh yeah, absolutely. And from a gameplay side, Chris, I mean, we've basically been treating him like a web warrior day one. He, he's a mobile Spidey sense esque with his radar tight wall crawler brawler type character with some control, just like this web warriors. And I've already been playing him in my web warrior team. So now I actually have an affiliated person before he was just daredevil being brought in because I think it's, he fits the team. Now he really helps me bump up that number. Well, and that just leads to more variation in your list building, more strategy. It just mm-hmm. adds more layers. It's just layers and layers. This game is really good about that. Yeah, it's exciting. And it actually gives me a lot of excitement for the future of the Web Warriors. Are we going to get more models that are more of a curveball like the Daredevil? Time will tell, but it's just super exciting. <laughs> Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to www.discountgamesinc for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. As you guys know, our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. This show would not run without the patrons. X season would definitely not happen without the patrons because we are putting a lot more time into writing, reading, recording, and producing and editing episodes because we're basically putting out all these new side episodes as well on top of the regular show. If you guys heard up front, I did a new intro for the show. We got new art for the show all around X season. And these things are because we have patrons and we can put time and money into these things. So if you want to help the show grow, do more things like X season, join the Patreon, get in the discord, get to hang out with the awesome people in the discord and, you know, spend some holiday time with us there. This week, we want to send a huge, big thank you to Dennis H. Dennis, thank you so much for keeping the lights on, man. This one means a lot because Dennis is a friend of mine that I used to play competitively in the past in all things competitive Star Wars games. He always gave me a run for my money. You know, he's a standing world champion of the Star Wars LCG. Dennis, thank you for your support. And Chris, we of course have to thank our Avenger producer, Matthew R. Once again, if you're a producer, you get your name every week. And Matthew has chosen to devote a lot of support to Fury's Finest. And basically the show really happens from these producers. And that's the exciting part I have to get into, Chris, is we have a second producer. That's right. We want to thank Brett C., the Aussie Avenger. That's the name is perfect. So we have an Australian Avenger producer. Well, that's perfect for today's episode. (laughs) Storm spent a lot of time in the outback. Brett C., thank you so much, man. We appreciate it big time. Thank you. And you will hear your name next episode. Chris, let's get into this lore. Let's do it. All right, Chris, who is Storm? Well, Jesse, Storm was created during the Bronze Age of comic books. She's the first major female character of African descent in comics. She is regarded by some as being Marvel Comics' most important female superhero, and she's drawn a lot of favorable comparisons to Wonder Woman of DC Comics. When Marvel and DC Comics published a DC versus Marvel miniseries in 1996, Storm was pitted against Wonder Woman 
in a one-on-one confrontation, and Storm emerged victorious due to winning a popular vote amongst readers. Storm is also part of one of the higher-profile romantic relationships in all of comics, having married childhood sweetheart fellow superhero Black Panther, ruler of the fictional African nation Wakanda. Storm was made queen consort through marriage, and the title was lost when the two later divorced. Oh, I hope she gets to keep the title and just rule Wakanda. It would have been rad. Also, my random side note here is pitting Wonder Woman and Storm in a one-on-one poll in 1996. I, I didn't think Wonder Woman had a chance. <laughs> that was like X-Men heyday. Yeah, man. Like, that's not fair. That was not even fair. I love Wonder Woman, but that that's not fair at all. No, not at that time period. It might be different, completely different story these days. That's right. So Storm's first appearance in comics. Storm was created by writer Lynn Wynn and artist Dave Cockrum, first appearing in giant-sized X-Men, number one, May 1975. So 12 years after Scott, Chris. Yeah, she's part of this second wave of X-Men that came Mm -hmm. in kind of as the original group of X-Men were kind of being phased out. This is as serialized, kind of set in stone, you know, some of the ideas behind the minds with the X-Men was that they would kind of phase out and retire as time went on and kind of age in real time. Right. But of course that didn't happen. So let's talk about Storm's superpowers really quick. Storm is one of the most powerful mutants on Earth and has demonstrated a plethora of abilities, most of which are facets of her power to manipulate the weather. Storm possesses the psionic ability to control all forms of weather over vast areas. She has been able to control both earthly and extraterrestrial ecosystems. She can modify the temperature of the environment, control all forms of precipitation, humidity, and moisture, generate lightning and other electromagnetic atmospheric phenomena, and has demonstrated excellent control over atmospheric pressure. She can incite all forms of meteorological tempests, such as tornadoes, thunderstorms, blizzards, and hurricanes, as well as mist. She can dissipate such weather to form clear skies as well. Her precise control over the atmosphere allows her to create special weather effects, She can create precipitation at higher or lower altitudes than normal, make whirlwinds travel pointing lengthwise in any direction, channel ambient electromagneticism through her body to generate electric blasts, flash freeze objects and people, coalesce atmospheric pollutants into acid rain or toxic fog, and, along with her natural ability of flight, summon wind currents strong enough to support her weight to elevate herself or others to fly at high altitudes and speeds. That'll come back later. Yep. Her control is so great that she can even manipulate the air in a person's lungs. She can also control the pressure inside the human inner ear, an ability she uses to cause intense pain. She can also bend light using moisture in the air and her manipulation of mist and fog to appear partially transparent, and later in comics, nearly invisible. Storm's mutant powers are limited only by her own willpower and the strength of her own body. Sentinels have considered Storm an Omega-level mutant on one occasion. So that's a big deal, being an Omega-level mutant. 
Yeah, and maybe we need to have a segment on Omega Level Mutants, Chris, coming up because it is X season and that is a feature of X Men that is thrown around a lot. And if, you know, someone's new here or just new to the X Men, I definitely want them to know Omega Level. That is definitely something we'll have to talk about. Absolutely. We mentioned Storm first appeared in 1975 in the comic book Giant Size X Men Number One, written by Lynn Wynn and penciled by Dave Cockrum. And this comic, Wynn uses a battle against the living island, Krakoa to replace the first-generation X-Men of the 1960s with the new X-Men. Storm was an amalgam of two characters Cockrum created, the Black Cat and Typhoon. The Black Cat had Storm's costume, minus the cape, and was submitted for the new X-Men original lineup. However, during a hiatus in the new X-Men project, other female cat-like characters like Tigra were introduced, making the Black Cat redundant. Since the creative team did not want X-Men to have an all-male lineup, editor Roy Thomas suggested that Cochran make his character Typhoon, originally designed as a male, into a woman for the group. Cochran liked the idea and outfitted Typhoon with the Black Cat's costume, cape, and new haircut with white hair. His collaborators feared that Storm's white hair would make her look like a grandmother, but Cochran, confident that he could consistently draw the character so she would appear young, insisted on this aspect of her appearance. In Uncanny X-Men number 102, Chris Claremont established Storm's backstory. Storm's mother, Nader, was a princess of a tribe in Kenya and descended from a long line of African witch priestesses with white hair, blue eyes, and a natural gift for sorcery. Nader falls in love and marries American photojournalist David Monroe. They move to Harlem in uptown New York City, where Aurora is born. They later move to Egypt and live there until they die during the Suez Crisis in a botched aircraft attack, leaving six-year-old Aurora as an orphan. Her violent claustrophobia is established as a result of being buried under tons of rubble after that attack. She becomes a skilled thief in Cairo under the benign Archmand El Gibar and wanders into the Serengeti as a young woman. She is worshipped as a goddess when her powers appear before being recruited by Professor X for the X-Men. Chris Claremont further fleshed out Storm's backstory in Uncanny X-Men number 117. He retroactively added that Professor X had already met Storm as a child in Cairo. As Aurora grows up on the streets and becomes a proficient thief under the tutelage of El Gabar, one of her most notable victims was Charles Francis Xavier, later Professor X. He's able to use his mental powers to temporarily prevent her escape and recognizes the potential in her. However, when Xavier is attacked mentally by Amal Farouk, the Shadow King, the two men are preoccupied enough with their battle to allow the girl to escape. Both Xavier and the Shadow King recognize Storm as the young girl later. In the following issues, Claremont portrayed Storm as a serene, independent character. Although Storm was initially written having trouble adjusting to Western culture, Claremont established her as the leader of the X-Men after Cyclops takes a leave of absence, a position she holds in various incarnations. Claremont also established a maternal relationship between Storm and the 13-year-old X-Man Kitty Pride. A short story by Claremont set during Storm's childhood in Kenya that ran in Marvel Team Up number 100 establishes that when she was 12 years old, Storm saved a young Black Panther from racist thugs. This story would later become the basis for later writers to establish a deeper relationship between the two characters. In the early 1980s, 
Adventures of Storm, written by Claremont, included a space opera arc in which the X-Men fight parasitic beings called the Brood. Storm is infected with a brood egg and contemplates suicide, but then experiences a last-minute save by the benign whale-like Akanti aliens. Claremont further establishes Storm's strength as a character in the follow-up storyline, in which Storm's fellow X-Men Angel is abducted by a rogue mutant group called the Morlocks. The X-Men are outnumbered, and Storm is rendered sick by the Morlock called Plague. To save Kitty Pride's life, Storm challenges the Morlock's leader, Callisto, in a duel to the death for the leadership of the Morlocks. Despite being violently ill, Storm defeats Callisto by stabbing Callisto with a knife. Callisto is saved through the efforts of a Morlock healer, and Storm offers the Morlocks refuge at the Xavier Mansion, though they decline. In The Uncanny X-Men number 173, Claremont and artist Paul Smith created a new look for Storm, abandoning her old costume for a black leather top and pants, and changing her former veil of white hair into a punk rock mohawk. The change in appearance was inspired by the decision of colleague Walt Simonson to shave off his beard and mustache while on vacation with his wife, X-Men editor Louise Simonson. Upon their return, Simonson's daughter Julie, upset at her father's new appearance, ran from the room. Julie Simons' reaction to her father's new appearance would be mirrored in the X-Man Kitty Pride's heartbroken rejection of Storm's new look. In the story, Storm's outlook on life darkens after her struggles with the brood. These changes alienate her from Kitty for a time. Storm is influenced in this by Yukio, a friend of Wolverine, and the two become fast friends as well. Claremont wrote an arc in which fellow mutant Forge developed a mutant power neutralizing gun. The intended target is another X-Man, Rogue, but Storm is hit instead, taking away her powers. Forge takes her back to his home in Dallas, Texas to recover. They fall in love, but when she learns that Forge built the weapon that took her powers, she is heartbroken and leaves him. By 1986, the question arose of whether the X-Men would be led by Storm or by Cyclops who was now married to Madeline Pryor and an expected husband. The two settled the matter in a duel in the danger room that saw Storm victorious. During the 1998 Fall of the Mutants storyline, Storm is trapped in another dimension with Forge, who restores her elemental powers. Following her rejoining of the X-Men, they defeat a demonic enemy called the Adversary in a battle in which the public believes the X-Men have died. They survive with the help of the celestial being known as Roma, using a spell Roma has cast upon them to be invisible to electronic equipment. The X-Men set up a new headquarters in a small frontier in the Australian outback. After expelling a group of mutant-hunting cyborgs called Reavers, who had been living there, Storm is captured by the cyborg Nanny. Although believed slain in the encounter, Storm later resurfaces, having become an amnesiac as a result of being physically regressed to childhood by Nanny. She is hunted by the evil telepath Shadow King and framed for murder and finally returns to thieving. While she slowly starts to regain her memories, she meets with Gambit and they both return to the X-Men. In the following arc, the Extinction Agenda, she is kidnapped by the mutant-exploiting nation of Genosha and is temporarily transformed into a brainwashed slave, but in the end is restored physically and mentally to her adult prime. In October 1991, the X-Men franchise was relaunched, centering on the new eponymous X-Men Volume 2 comic. Claremont wrote Storm as the leader of the X-Men's gold team. The other team, Blue, was led by her colleague Cyclops, the X-Men she once succeeded as the leader. 
In the sister title Uncanny X-Men, now under Scott Lebdell, Lebdell continued on the romance between Storm and Forge, which culminated in Forge's proposal to wed in 1992. Storm's slight hesitation, however, is misinterpreted by Forge, who then rescinds the offer before it can be accepted. In 1995, Lebdell continued an arc again pitting the X-Men against the Morlocks. As Claremont did with Callisto in 1983, Lebdell had Storm ending the battle by wounding her opponent in the heart. Here, Storm rips out one heart of the two-hearted Morlock girl, Marrow, which has a bomb affixed to it, of course. In February 1996, Storm gets her first miniseries, the aptly named Storm. In the first arc of the series, Warren Ellis writes a story in which Storm is sucked into an alternate dimension and pitted against villain Mikhail Rasputin. That was the year of the poll against Wonder Woman, <laughs> her first named series. It was just not a good time. <laughs> Poor Diana. The cartoon was running. The X-Men oh. were huge. They were, you know, ridiculous. A couple of years out from the first X-Men live action movie. Yep. In Extreme X-Men, conceived by newly reinstated Chris Claremont in July of 2001, Storm is written as the leader of this Extreme team and the central character of the book until its end issue number 46. During this time, Storm enjoys a brief flirtation with younger fellow X-Men Slipstream and is kidnapped by the intergalactic warlord Khan. In the series, Storm also becomes the leader of the Extreme Sanctions Executive, a special police task force of mutants policing mutants given worldwide authority. During the 2005 Decimation storyline, in which 90% of the mutants lose their powers, Storm is among the 198 mutants who retain their powers. Also that year, in the miniseries Aurora Before the Storm by writer Mark Sumerak, her backstory is retold in greater detail, concentrating on her relationship with surrogate father figure Ahmed El-Gibar during her childhood. The following year, Marvel Comics announced that Storm would marry fellow African superhero Black Panther. Storm's history with Black Panther, including the initial meeting of the characters, was retconned by Marvel during the lead-up to their marriage. The relationship led to the marriage of the two most prominent Black African Marvel Comics heroes and Black Panther number 18 by writer Reginald Hudlin. In July 2006, as a tie-in to the Civil War storyline, Marvel Comics editor-in-chief Joe Quesada was highly supportive of this marriage, stating that it was Marvel Comics' equivalent of the marriage of Lady Diana and Prince Charles, and he expected both characters to emerge strengthened. In 2007, when Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman take some time off from the Fantastic Four to work on their marriage in the aftermath of the Civil War storyline, Storm and Black Panther become temporary members of the Fantastic Four, and then Storm would later return to the Uncanny X-Men. So this is another affiliation I expect to see. I expect to see Storm and Black Panther in the Fantastic Four when and if we get the Fantastic Four. Very interesting. Storm joins the reformed Astonishing X-Men because, as she explains, Wakanda supports mutants from the back, and she believes she could be on the front line. However, she is also somewhat bored of her life as queen. The reemergence of the Shadow King later forces Storm to choose between her role as queen and her role as an X-Man. Confronting the Panther God Bast, Storm asserts that she is not limited to being one or the other or anything else 
and that she is unafraid to do whatever is necessary to fulfill those responsibilities. Regaining Bast's favor, the two defeat the Shadow King and Storm decides that she will remain Queen of Wakanda and remain with the X-Men, refusing to choose between them. Seeking to relearn his limitations, T'Challa later leaves Africa and takes a new role as the Guardian of Hell's Kitchen following the events of Shadowland. Though the two remain a couple, Storm sadly but respectfully accepts T'Challa's request for temporary isolation so that he can find himself. After the 2011 revamp of the X-Men-related comic books, Storm appears as the leader of a defensive reconnaissance-based team of the X-Men in the ongoing X-Men title. In November that year, Storm joined the Avengers in Avengers Volume 4, Number 19. She leaves the team to fight alongside the X-Men during the Avengers vs. X-Men storyline, which has her facing off against T'Challa when he sides with the Avengers. When a Phoenix-empowered Namor destroys Wakanda, Storm realizes the Phoenix Five are out of control and returns to help the Avengers. However, she is stunned when T'Challa tells her he has annulled their marriage. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we are going to leave off on the story of Storm. But if you stay tuned to Comic Recommendations, I'm going to recommend a series that will bring you up as far as what's happened since the post-Civil War storyline. Very good, Chris. And of course, guys, if you haven't heard our Black Panther episode, we go into a lot of this Panther God, Storm being the queen, and T'Challa's marriage with Storm in great detail. So if you want to get the other side of this story, check it out. Learning about Black Panther is also really great. But you know, if you haven't heard it and you want more of these parts of the story, we do have it on our feed. So Chris, this leads us to getting into Storm's appearances in Marvel Cinema. We know Storm has not yet come to the MCU, but she has been a big prominent character in superhero movies since 2000. So for 20 years. Now, honorable mention We do have to mention X-Men in 1992, X-Men Evolution in 2000, and Wolverine and the X-Men in 2008. Storm is in all of those. Storm is a major character in all of those. So arguably, she got started in the TV leading to cinema format in 1992. So she has been on people's screens a long time. But her first appearance in the movies is X-Men in 2000. And that is a film that Chris and I are doing on our commentary series coming up. And she has played... By none other than Halle Berry. This was her first appearance of Storm, Chris. What do you remember? What I do remember from that time was that oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna date myself. <laughs> but Halle Berry was huge. She was. It was a really big deal. That was a really big get. When the news came movie. out in '99, yeah, yeah, I think everyone was pretty much in shock. That created a lot of buzz for that movie. And then, of course, that movie launched Hugh Jackman to new levels. It launched a lot of people. But, of course, Hugh Jackman from nowhere came to where he is. And we're going to get in that in our Wolverine episode. But interesting choice. And it actually makes a lot of sense, Chris, that the biggest actors they chose in this order, I think, were, of course, Patrick Stewart as Xavier. And then, of course, Ian McKellen as Magneto. And then probably Halle Berry is Storm. I mean, there's other prominent people in the film from that time, but like superstar power level. And I almost want to say Halle Berry was dwarfing Ian McKellen at that time, which was a wild thing to say, but might be true. <laughs> so really, she was like on the top of their list to get to make this movie happen. Obviously, she goes forward to reprise the role many times. I'm glad she did. 
I am too. So she was an X2. She was an X3, The Last Stand, X-Men, Days of Future Past. And then we had the new Storm, the young Storm, played by Alexandra Ship. Her first appearance was in X-Men Apocalypse in 2016. And then she reprised the role one more time, the final X-Men movie in this saga, Dark Phoenix 2019. I think she did a good job too as the super young storm. You know, of course in apocalypse, we do see elements of the storm origin story when she's an actual little girl and all that, that Chris went over at the beginning of this segment, but all in all, they show her powers in the movies. They do a pretty good job of showing her powers. We're going to dive into this more on our commentary series, which is going to be really exciting. It's all good. And I think Halle Berry is a great choice. I mean, Halle Berry still whips, dude. (laughs) She also played Catwoman. You're right. (laughs) oh man arguably i've heard one of the worst superhero movies of all time because i've never watched it i've never seen it i think it did very well because just halle berry as selena kyle people were like that's enough for me (laughs) well yeah and i mean they played up various aspects of something but something hey we're getting a new selena kyle in the new batman movie and it's zoe kravitz so i'm very excited about that that could be cool i mean we'll see i don't have much faith in any dc movies at this point but hopefully i'm wrong you probably are with the batman one dude i i really do hope so i'm pulling for it yeah matt reeves is doing it robert pattinson's leading it it's a good start but yeah storm i hope we get more of her in the mcu i hope they cast a really good actress i mean maybe they could get this young actress alexandra's ship to come back she'll be a little bit older now time will tell we'll see what they do but she's an essential part of the x-men they're not going to do the x-men in the mcu without her and there's no way right yeah it'd just be terrible it would be terrible it would be very bad so chris closing out our lore section give us that comic book recommendation okay i'm going to recommend storm the 2014 storm solo series by greg pock and illustrated by victor ibanez Okay. I need to read this. I did not know those 2014 Storm series. I'm ready. It's good. Greg is a good writer, man. Seen Greg's name many times. All right. Well, we'll definitely check that out, Chris. I love when we get a very specific comic on just the one character. I mean, in your recommendation section, because yeah, obviously we love these great sprawling stories like Annihilation, you know, which have many characters in it. But when you get like one character in a a good series, got to talk about it. You know, we'll have to with Cable. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, Chris, let's move on to strategy. Her name is Storm. Her alter ego is Aurora Monroe. She has five stamina, a medium move, a height of two, and a threat cost of three. Her defenses are three physical, four energy, three mystic. Chris, what stands out to you about Storm's base stats? Well, this is kind of a a meta thing that stands out to me immediately, is that she's three threat. Pretty interesting. Very interesting. I wonder if maybe we see an o like a an omega level mutant storm, like a, a five threat version of Storm sure. sometime down the line, but that remains to be seen. We'll see how Atomic Mass goes. And I like this timeline too, Chris, thematically, because this is arguably supposed to be the time when Storm's coming in. Scott's been leading the team already, and we kind of get the slightly younger, definitely less powerful storm. And I think that fits exactly what leads me to believe that they've got a lot of cool things planned in the future. The other thing, of course, that stands out is four energy defense. Very nice. Yeah. It's always nice when a three threat has something above three. That always feels good because there's so many of the three threats. They're just threes across the board. Makes sense. It also makes sense that storm has four energy like on defense. I mean, 
pretty nice. All right, Chris, let's get into her attacks. Her first attack is Lightning Bolt. It is an energy attack, has range four, strength four, power cost zero, of course. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. On a wild, you will trigger shock. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the shock special condition. I love shock. Shock is very good. Shock removes one dice from all attack pools of the character who is shocked, so you can really reduce down some big attacks to lower dice pools. This is fine, Chris. This is, you know, a range four strike, exactly the same as Bucky's, except she has a shock. You know, we've never been super excited about four dice strikes, but when they're range four, it's fine because, you you know, you can stay away. Sometimes you're not going to get damaged through, and that, that is going to be frustrating. So we're going to continue to read Storm's card and see if there's anything that can mitigate this stuff. Her second attack is a physical attack, Ice Blizzard. It is beam three. Four strength once again, and a zero power cost once again. If this attack deals damage, after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the stun special condition. So notice no wild trigger or anything. If you dealt damage, they get stunned. Chris, what do you think about her having essentially another zero cost range three, but it's a beam four dice attack? That stun is crazy on that beam. That's good. You could stun a lot of people. It's really cool. You can stun a lot of people. Other than that, you know, a zero power cost beam three, really, I can't complain about it, but I kind of want to. I also want to talk about its physical, which is, of course, the most representative defense in the game, Mm -hmm. sadly, but thematically, it makes so much sense. This is just chunks of ice falling down on top of you. And I like that it's a beam. It's thematic of her mage-like nature, too. You know, she's got a little AOE going on. I really enjoy beam attacks. They're fun. Her next attack is Hurricane. It is also a physical attack. It is going to be Area 2, Strength 5, Power Cost of 4. This attack ignores Line of Sight, and the defending character does not benefit from cover. After all attacks are resolved from this area attack, each enemy character with the Flight Innate Superpower targeted by this attack suffers 1 damage. Allied characters in the range of this attack do not suffer damage from this attack. Pretty interesting because notice that last clause that Chris just mentioned. Don't forget A attacks and B attacks, area and beam attacks deal damage to your allies. Just one damage for each ally. They don't roll dice or anything like that like you would on the targets of the beam. But Hurricane breaks that rule. This is our first instance of breaking the hurt your allies with a beam or area attack rule. It's great, Chris. And this little interesting thematic flavor of after all attacks are resolved each enemy character with flight that was targeted by this attack just auto takes one damage oh i love that and i it just it makes perfect sense it's it's thematic with the hurricane that's clearly happening just another little tool in your tool bag you know against some of those really mobile flight teams absolutely and gotta mention storm does not want to be in the fray at all but what's interesting is when she's in the fray and she doesn't even have any close range like punching attacks or anything but when she's in the fray she does this a2 hurricane none of her allies take damage and she could potentially get a lot of people within range too and i think it's worth it if you get a couple people on this you're definitely paying the four cost oh absolutely at that point you're just throwing so many dice Absolutely. And if they're flyers and they just get delta damage, that's pretty interesting. It's a new thing that's a little bit of a deterrent for flyers, which we haven't seen before. They've always just been good, you know, especially with drop off before it was banned. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting that we just have a way to give pings to flyers now 
randomly with a character. I love it. Oh, me too. But Chris, we got to talk about Storm's most exciting elements, which are, of course, her superpowers. Her first superpower is actually her affiliation leadership, X-Men Gold Affiliation Uncanny X-Men. Once per round, you may use this leadership ability during an allied character's activation if it is not holding an objective token. If you choose this character, choose an allied character within range two of the active character. Place the active character within one of the chosen character. Once more with feeling, once per round, you may use this leadership ability during an allied character's activation if it's not holding an objective. If you do, choose an allied character within two of this active character, then place the active character within one of the chosen ally character. This is wordy, but that has to be wordy to kind of get the point across. But basically, you get a teleport from an ally, range one. Huge. Absolutely huge in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We all know this. This changes deployment inherently, Chris. You can teleport outside of deployment and then double move with a character, pick up an objective that maybe you couldn't reach before. This makes characters like the Hulk, Modok, other large characters even more deadly because they can just be teleported range one of another character. Well, not to mention the extra the extra length you get when yes. you're teleporting to them. Exactly. And this is pretty thematic of Storm. This is simulating her main superpower we see a lot, which is where she can lift herself and her allies to get vantage points, to get out of battles, to drop them into battles more effectively. I love it. But keep in mind, it does say once per round, so... This is not every turn within a round. So not every character can do this a turn. It's once a round. So you do this six times a game. Obviously, you're going to do it because it doesn't require power or anything. You just do it. But yeah, really nice, really nice to kind of get some positioning at the end of a round on top of being good positioning at the beginning of a round, like I said, to pressure some objectives. So really, really malleable leadership, like you use it when it's best, but it gets better, Chris. That would be enough for this affiliation. I think that superpower would be enough, be a good affiliation and have a bonus. Turns out Storm has a second part of her card. Additionally, when an allied character is targeted by an attack and the attacker is not within range two of the target allied character, the allied character has cover. What? Very, very cool. So as long as you're not in melee beating range, Storm's entire team has cover like Rocket and Something we've talked about in the past, and I'll continue to talk about in the future, Rocket's low health, but him always having cover makes him surprisingly survivable for some time. It adds a whole new dimension to some characters, really. I'm already thinking about, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I know it's our, our next episode, Chris, but I'm thinking about Beast with auto cover, you know, mm -hmm. and he's immobile and he's moving around. Yeah, when he's in range two, no cover because, you know, it's obviously striking range, but it's a weird twist on stealth, you know? Because stealth, normally, they can't be targeted if they're outside of range three or further. This is, if they're three or further, just tons of cover. So this also makes Storm really good with ranged characters on her teams, which is really cool. This is one of my favorite affiliation abilities at the moment. Certainly. Even if it doesn't shake out to be the most powerful, you know, when, when we get just a lot of raw numbers on it, I don't care. It's just, it's too cool. Well, yeah, like a teleport and then cover. And just the vision in my head of Beast just kind of materializing in and out of fog yes. you know, during this fight. It's just too cool. It's just way too cool. Spoiler alert, Chris, I think it's going to be on one of the upper 
affiliations. And that's what's interesting well, about yeah. this. This is going to always work. And also with Storm's Little Teleport, it's always going to work too. Scott's leadership is not always going to work where people spend power to give another character power to do a big spender attack. So this is why we already said, interesting that Storm's clearly the better leader and actually easier to make teams around because she's three threat. But when you get the right time to use Scott, you should use him. And if it's going to work, you're gonna, it's going to work, you know? But I also think Scott is good in Storm's team with cover, you know? Oh, absolutely. He has four physical defense, like we talked about last episode. With cover, that's crazy. I just kind of want to run them just only X-Men at this point. like Just, just mono. Yeah, just mono X-Men. It, just, it sounds too fun. It really does. So let's move on to her next superpower. This is an active superpower. It is called Eye of the Storm. Power cost of three. During the next attack action made by this character this turn, add two dice to its attack rolls. There we go. That's a range four, six energy strike. That's good. That is very good, but that does cost three power to get out. But hopefully on those six dice, you're going to recover two of those power. Right. And even better, Chris, if you're in range, of course, is a beam three attack that's now six for her ice. So yes, if you're going to get a beam off on more people, more dice is really good and probably worth it once again and getting those stuns out. I love it. It's once again expensive, but it makes sense. I kind of really like that her attacks are all cheap except the one big hurricane and that you can essentially think of them as I can make them six dice attacks with these effects. Just cost three. It's cost zero normally. Pretty interesting. Her next superpower is an active superpower called Tempest. It also costs three power. Choose an interactive train feature or enemy character, both size two or less and within range three and throw it short. This superpower may only be used once per turn. Chris, throws are great. Throws on threes are even greater because they are so rare. She's got that affiliation. She can bump up her dice and she has a throw. (laughs) They might have... (laughs) undercut her cost by one let's not forget we mentioned she's now in wakanda chris and they're all about throwing people off objectives pushing people off objectives scoring all those points they have another person who can do this from range crazy man wakanda's getting wild that's right so let's talk about another superpower it is an innate superpower it's called goddess of storms it has no power costs Characters must be within range three of this character to target it with attacks. She's just got a permanent, you know, cloak of fog around her. That's right. She has stealth. She has Black Widow's stealth. So happy it's renamed. Every time Atomic Mass does this, I am so happy. I know the super competitive gamers get really irritated, you know, but Chris and I, we love it because giving her the word stealth does not do her version of stealth justice because it's not stealth. It is something else entirely it is the goddess of storms i love these little nods to lore but this whole episode has been me saying that so i guess i'll i'll cool on it we'll just keep saying it and chris closing out she also has one final innate parts of her kit she has flight and an immunity to shock so if you were ever worried about those six dice or those four dice getting even lower i was about the four dice don't be worried because she's got lightning coming off of her body. She, she can't be shocked. Nice little throw-ins at this point. You know, everything everything past what we've already got, it's just cherries on top, man. She's got a throw. It's a little expensive, but she has one. She has flight. Okay. She's immune to shock. She has slightly above average energy defense. Great attack. One's a beam, one's an area, and then an amazing affiliation. Her biggest weakness, Chris, is that on her backside, she stays the same. 
and she's only five stamina. So that makes her 10 stamina total, which is completely average on a three cost. And I think it's completely right because if you start increasing her stamina too, with all these cool things she can do, she might be way too powerful for a three threat. Be careful in your positioning with Storm. Absolutely. And like we always like to talk about, Chris, you know, the eye of the storm, add two dice to her next attack. And then the Tempest, the throw someone short who's size two or smaller. They both cost three, cost two in Avengers. Worth mentioning every time because it is the core set. And she's a three cost character. She can fit a lot of teams. There's a lot of places she can fit in. And not to mention the Wakanda specifically, just she almost fleshes that affiliation out. Yeah, she gives them a little bit more range, some new attacks, beams and areas. And then, of course, a throw, you know, no one in Wakanda has a throw. They all have pushes. Oh, I just think for a three threat, I just think she's wonderful. Absolutely. So, Chris, it's pretty obvious that Storm's going to be our default X-Men leader and we're going to pivot into Scott when we need him. But something we need to look at before we get into future list building episodes and, of course, more of the X-Men team we need to look at their affiliation cards. Since we went through the two leaders, we think it's appropriate now to go through the three affiliation cards for the Uncanny X-Men. So the first one, Chris, is Children of the Atom. It is for Uncanny X-Men and it's an active. In Uncanny X-Men character may play this card. Remove all special conditions from this character. It gains one power for each special condition that was removed in this way. That's really cool. So if you're fighting a Hawkeye and he's putting a lot of things on you, say it's, you know, Cyclops or something. You know, Cyclops is shocked and, 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 you know, he's stunned and all these things. Well, just play Children of the Atom. Notice, Chris, this doesn't have a cost. That already makes it pretty interesting and exceptional. And you remove the special effects on a character and you gain power from it. I just love this, Chris, because, you know, this is stagger insurance. I do not like stagger. <laughs> well, not only is it that, but, you know, when you're playing against a team that, that is dishing out a lot of special conditions this card can legitimately change the momentum of a turn absolutely this can swing a turn in your favor you know like removing all these conditions for free and gaining two three four power <laughs> yeah to be able to use on a character like you were saying scott yeah scott does his big attack now he's got the power for a big attack now and he's got the range for it too so this can potentially be huge i think it's an auto include since it's zero cost and it's condition insurance but obviously the ceiling is really high like chris said when you're fighting a heavy condition team but i think it's an auto include in your x-men eight cards because it's free it's great so the next card is to me my x-men it's uncanny x-men active a character with an uncanny x-men leadership ability may spend any number of power to play this card for each power spent to play this card one allied uncanny x-men may advance short towards this character this is very interesting. It also seems like something you're going to do a lot of reps of. This is Avengers Assemble, but you have to do it all towards one character. You've got to get that positioning right, but this is really cool. This is a great card for when you're very used to the team, mm -hmm. used to how they feel on the board, and you pull this out, everybody advances short. That's going to be a big surprise. That's just very powerful. Yeah, and I think the theme here too, Chris, is you know, we love theme and this is something we see in X-Men a lot where they get scattered and, you know, the X-Men are always stronger when they're together fighting their opponents. And, you know, this is totally a Scott doing the dad thing. I was talking about like everyone get behind dad and, you know, then he shoots a beam and destroys everything in front of them and everybody kind of repositions. Also interesting. You got to think about things like Scott where he can move other characters short with his superpower, the field leader. You could field leader with Scott 
then play this. That person got, got two short moves outside of their activation. I'm liking this. I'm liking the theme. I'm liking the positioning. It's good. The next card is first class. It's uncanny X-Men reactive at the start of the activation phase. An allied uncanny X-Men character may play this card. Each allied uncanny X-Men character does not have to spend power the first time they interact with an objective token this round. Chris, once again, another finesse card. If you know the team, you know the object as well. This is going to be great. If you don't, it might not work so good. You were just talking about theme. I think another theme we're seeing with the X-Men is finesse. Mm-hmm. It's finesse with the meta. It's it's finesse. When do I take that Scott leadership ability? When do I stick with Storm? You know, Do I want to play this card early and, and try to have a power advantage by by saving uh, on that turn one you know objective picking up objectives you know or do you want to save it for later when you need that power and maybe need to swing the game maybe don't have that power it's so situational but it's so powerful when used properly it's hard not to say include it absolutely and all the x-men are so unique like chris was mentioning and there's a lot of finesse just learning them as characters it's going to take some time to really learn all of them their point costs where they fit and then you add these tactics cards on top of it or harder to use children of the atom i think is always an auto include because it's free and you can just do it whenever but these other two you might not always take them because the objective might not call for it and you know your team might not be spread out in a way where there is necessary but i am very interested in them interested to see kind of how the X-Men have these team work centric cards. I, I love it. I'm, I'm a fan and it's something I'm going to dive into more in the future on our episodes coming up, Chris of the X-Men, but also in one of our first side episodes of the X season, where I'm going to be interviewing a special guest about X-Men team building. So that's a little tease for that. It's a very exciting guest. I'm very glad it's happening. I'm, I'm excited for it as well. I can't wait. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Once again, guys, we're just thanking our patrons extra during this time because we are doing a lot more content, a lot more time we're putting every week into the show, a lot more effort, and the patrons are making this happen. So the show is always going to be free, like we've always said, but it's because the patrons support it and keep the lights on. So if you want to help support the show and keep the lights on, help make 2021 the best year for Fury's Finest so far, which, you know, Chris and I said, starting off with the X season was a really big, bombastic, exciting endeavor that we decided to take on ourselves to start this new year of Fury's Finest off right. And we can't wait to look forward to next year, what it means for MCP and all that's going to be possible through the Patreon. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Finest. We are in the works of starting to stream some X-Men painting. And what's exciting about this is Chris and I have a very dear friend who is an excellent painter, and he would like to do some streaming on our channel as well, on top of the regular streaming we've done in the past. So I can't wait, Chris. I can't wait to watch him paint on it. And when that happens, we'll let you guys know. It's going to be cool. I'm hoping to get some, eventually get set up where he can teach me how to paint better on stream as well and in VODs. That's one of our goals, and I I can't wait for that, Chris. I think it's going to be great, really helpful. Follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. If you guys have any inquiries or, you know, like we mentioned, we are still working on that future episode about components, maps, and terrain. If you have those things, you'd like us to review them, check them out, feature them in our episode, reach out to us at 
furiesfinest at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. You guys are still leaving us reviews, which is excellent. The more reviews, the better, the more people find this show and the more people get into MCP, which I think now is more important than ever, Chris, with having a team like the X-Men out. And then, of course, a team like the Inhumans coming not too long after. It's a very exciting time in Marvel Crisis Protocol. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music, and remember to help spread the word about the show, rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-E-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. I have two Star Wars podcasts, which are in full swing right now. If you play Star Wars Squadrons, they just had a huge announcement for that game, and we'll cover it on the show. But check out my Star Wars Squadrons podcast, Project Starhawk. But more importantly, Chris, the Canon Cantina is back, and we are doing these deep dives analysis of The Mandalorian Season 2. If you mildly enjoy The Mandalorian Season 2, I guarantee you'll like our show because we are super nerds super in love with this show and everything that speaks to us on the super nerd level and also the general public level. We go into all this on the show and we will hopefully be covering all the episodes of the Mandalorian on the Canon Cantina. Well, I love the Mandalorian and I love hanging out with you guys virtually. Of course, I just listen. I'm not on it. (laughs) I love listening to you guys. Chop it up, man. It's fun. Yeah. I can't wait to talk more Star Wars on it. You can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Come and tweet at me about wrestling, comic books, and NBA basketball. I was waiting for the NBA basketball. Is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? Well, I have to. It's very, very exciting times right now. Three pillars of Chris. I've been out of the NBA for some time for obvious reasons. My life and the the state of the NBA, I, I'd like to learn some things, get caught up on at least my teams, you know, but yeah, very exciting times going on. There's only one way we can close this episode. It's Storm is the superior X-Men leader. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> True believers. Excelsior. Excelsior.